fair for Tennessee, but it was minus three degrees. And it looked like blizzard-type conditions. And so as much as we're looking forward to summer here in Southern California, I'm sure they're looking more forward to it back on the East Coast and in the South. But speaking of summertime, about time to make those summer vacation plans. So I just want to ask you guys, by a show of hands, how many people would be excited if you were, your summer trip included a trip to Maui, Hawaii? If you were going to Maui, Hawaii, and you're thinking Hawaiian breezes, you're thinking laying by the pool at your resort or on the beach, or you're uh, going to maybe make that road trip to Hana, and you're thinking that's a good thing, right? How about if your trip included a Caribbean cruise? Caribbean cruise, raise your hand if you want to go on a Caribbean cruise. A few people on that. I've never been on a cruise, but I have been to the Caribbean. I've been to Jamaica. I've been to Cuba. I've seen the water, turquoise water. I'm thinking cruises. I've heard it's all-you-can-eat buffet. That alone is reason enough to go for me personally, but I heard it's great. You get to see multiple islands. A lot of good reasons to go on a Caribbean cruise this summer. Right, but maybe some of you want to go on a European vacation. I'm talking Paris, London, Rome. How many people would want to do that itinerary? Go to Europe on a European vacation, right? You got to think about it. You're going to see the Eiffel Tower in Paris. You're going to see Buckingham Palace over in London. You're going to see the Trevi Fountain or maybe the Colosseum in Rome. Some exciting vacations. I'd be excited to be doing any of those vacations this summer. Something to look forward to. Let me ask you this, also with a show of hands. How many of you are looking forward to appearing before the judgment seat of God? You're looking forward to that day. Raise your hands if you're looking forward to that. A lot of you are, but more of a, a tepid response, right? Why do you think that is? Why do we have a tepid response? We say, we're looking for, are you looking forward to the judgment seat of God and appearing before his presence in judgment? Well, I think a lot of it may just be a misunderstanding of what that judgment's going to be. Maybe we're uh, a little confused about that still, or maybe we've heard something or been taught something, and it's a day that we're dreading. Well, tonight we're going to learn it's a day that you can actually confidently face, not just face it and hope to squeak by, but to confidently face that day of judgment. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to continue this great book of 1 John, this great letter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 13 through 21. We'll read the whole passage, but we're going to focus on verses 17 and 18 tonight. 1 John 4, 13 through 21. It says this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Pastor Elliot did a great job last week explaining that from 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Then here's where we're going to focus. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And I think Ian mentioned that during the worship tonight. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother and with that let's open in the word of prayer God thanks so much for this night and uh God there is a lot of uh, confusion among believers about what this uh, day of judgment is going to look like 
We want to clear up that confusion tonight, God, as we study your word together. We know the perfect love cast out fear. We'll see that uh, there's a certain judgment that we'll never appear at. But this other one that we're going to talk about, God, uh, that's one we want to confidently, not arrogantly, but confidently approach, God. And uh, we look forward to that day. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you for saving us, God. Uh, look forward to seeing you at the beam of seat, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Look again at verse 17. He said that's where we're going to focus. So look there. It says this, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Confidence for the day of judgment. Well, you're saying what is the day of judgment specifically? Let me start by telling you what it's not. There's actually going to be two judgments. One of them is called the great white throne judgment. Everybody heard of, anybody heard of the great white throne judgment? Is that for believers or unbelievers? That's for unbelievers. And we'll talk about that in a second. And then there's going to be this Bema seat judgment. That one for believers or unbelievers? That one's for believers. So let's look at the great white throne first. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. We'll look at that. Read a, read a good description of what this great white throne judgment is. That's not the, the, the judgment we're going to talk about tonight in 1 John 4, 17. Altogether different, but let's look at it. Last book of your Bible, Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. It says this. Then I saw, the same guy writing, by the way, John, same guy wrote 1 John. He said this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. Thrown into a lake of fire. Not a real popular concept today. It's getting less and less popular by the minute. I think about that, that Duggar family. I know Jessa Duggar had a thing that came out just yesterday or maybe it was this morning talking about the concept of hell and, and, and preaching it out of love, saying, hey, God's made way that you don't have to go there through Christ. Oh my goodness, you should have read the comments. People went ballistic. People don't want to hear about hell, but it's a reality. According to God's word, it's the destiny for every person who's rejected God's offer of forgiveness through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you're a believer, you know that. And if you're here tonight and you're thinking, oh no, here we go. We're just trying this church and right out of the gate, preaching fire and brimstone. I knew it. That's why I didn't want to come in the first place. My grandparents warned me about places like this. My parents told me about places like this. Well, if you're thinking that, you're thinking, here they go, preaching fire and brimstone. Let's balance that, right? We just read the passage in Revelation 20. That's not my word. That's God's word. So that's reality. Here's the other reality that balances it out. 2 Peter 3.9, we don't look it up. Just refer to it later. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, that God isn't willing that any that would include all of us and thrive here tonight in this room. He's not willing that any should perish in this lake of fire, but that all should come to repentance. Another place says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He also says that he desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So if you're thinking, oh, hellfire and brimstone, no, no, no. God doesn't want you to experience hellfire and brimstone. Maybe that's why he brought you here tonight. That's for people that have, through their own volition, chosen to reject, like I said, God's offer of forgiveness. 
So that's what the great white throne judgment is. Like I mentioned, that's not the, the one we're talking about in 1 John chapter 4. So go ahead and turn back there, 1 John 4, 17 again. Entirely different event. Matter of fact, it happens on an entirely different day. And if you look down at your worksheet, you got a bunch of who, what, where, why, how, and all that. Let's go ahead and fill that in right now, okay? Get your pens out. Hopefully this will clear up what this judgment seat looks like, not the great white throne. This one, the day of judgment that John's talking about, the judgment here is called the Bema seat judgment. Bema, B-E-M-A. It's Greek, and that's all it means in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek, and it means judgment seat. Not talking about a judgment seat down at the county courthouse where the judge is going to pronounce sentence on you, send you to either life in prison or the death penalty. Think more of a, not to sound irreverent, but more of a judgment like I'd say at the Olympics, right? During the figure skating last year. I think about the Merrill Davis and Charlie White, I think their names were. Awesome. But they were judged according to what they had done on the ice. Think about, this sounds irreverent, dancing with the stars, right? I don't know how many people are on there now. They used to have three. I think there's four now. There's a panel of judges there, right? It's the Bema seat where they sit, a Bema seat judgment. So that's what it is. When is it? When's it going to take place? It's going to take place following the rapture of the church. And if you're thinking, what's the rapture of the church? We have time to explain it right now, but look up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and you can read all about the rapture of the church when we are called the dead, dead believers and believers that are still alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what the rapture of the church is. In a nutshell, it's going to happen following that event. That's the when. The who, we mentioned that earlier. This is a judgment for believers. So remember, this, all the stuff we're going to say from this point on isn't a salvation issue. We're talking to people who are already saved. It's for believers. That's the who and the where. Not where it's going to take place, but where else can I find this concept of a Bema seat in Scripture? We've got two verses. We're going to put them one at a time up here on the screen. Romans 14 here we go first. Romans 14 says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the Bema seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You'll face him on that day of judgment by yourself and you'll give an account of yourself. That's one place it's found. We've got another place that it's found. We're going to put that up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10 says this. Whether we are home or away, so whether we're already dead and in heaven or whether we're still here on earth, we make it our aim to please him. Again, talking to believers. Who makes it their aim to please God? Believers do. We make it our aim to please him. Paul's writing to believers in Corinth. says this. For we must all, not all people, not all without exception. Remember the context. Talking to people that are aiming to please him. We must all, all believers, must appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then finally, the why. And as in, why in the first, why is there a bema seat judgment in the first place? We've got a verse for that too. We're saving you time tonight because we had a worship night tonight. We're going to get into our small group. So uh, save you time. We won't look it up. We'll just put it up here on the screen. This is the why. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hid in darkness, will disclose the purposes or the motives of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation or his praise from God. It's a time of commendation. It's a time of praise. It's a time of rewards. And we'll talk about that as well. 
So that's what the Bema seat looks like. But our passage says, verse 17, that we can have confidence when we face that Bema seat. God wants us to be confident. The reality, according to 1 John 2.28, another verse we're going to put up here on the screen for you, lots of verses, is that believers, as we stand before Christ on the day of judgment, you'll be in one of two camps. You say, wait a minute, one of two camps, what are you talking about? Look at the verse here, it says this, and now little children, talking to believers, remember, not a salvation issue, talking to Christians, people that are already saved, now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. We've highlighted that. Not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Two camps. There are going to be those that appear before him and they have confidence when they make this appearance before God at the beam of seat judgment. There's going to be others, through implication here, that are going to shrink from him in shame. Remember, he's talking to believers, like I said. My question is, which camp are you in? Which camp am I in? And if you're thinking right now, wow, I thought I was always taught that everybody gets an A plus. Everybody gets the same stuff, spiritual communism. I, I, was taught, I was taught that. I really was. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And although God does want you to ace your judgment day evaluation, he really does. I was just talking to Pastor Mike about it to, uh, this week via text message, and I'm going to read you what he wrote to me. This is a quote from Pastor Mike. It's what he said. Uh, He said, quote, We should all be capable of acing our judgment day because we only need to prove faithful. But it will be our goofing off or our unfaithfulness or our lack of trust or our sin that will result in wood, hay, and straw. And wood, hay, and straw is obviously referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when it talks about rewards or the loss of rewards. Let me read that one more time. We should all be capable of acing our judgment day because we only need to prove faithful. But it will be our goofing off or our unfaithfulness or our lack of trust or our sin that will result in wood, hay, and straw. So for sake of illustration and not to be irreverent, this judgment's going to go down in one hour from now. You're going to sit here in 120 West. We have 120 East. That's the building across the parking lot where the junior hires meet. That's where the Bema seat's set up, and Christ is over there right now. Someone's going to come over here and get you one at a time, and they say, it's your time, and they'll say, Ryan Holly, you're up. Ryan's going to have to make that walk across the parking lot, or you're going to have to make that walk across the parking lot. Are you going to be confident even excited to see Jesus because you've been, a faith, you've been faithfully abiding in him. And because of that, as you're making that walk, you're evaluating your own life because he's getting ready to evaluate you, right? You're saying, you know what? I'm confident. I've been leading my family spiritually like Christ has asked me to do. I've been loving my wife as Christ loves the church. I've been bringing my kids up in the training and the instruction of the Lord like Ephesians 5 and 6 taught me to do. I've been doing that, okay? If you're a wife that's walking over there as a, as a woman, you're thinking, you know what? I've been submitting to my husband as under the Lord because I took that, when I read that in Ephesians 5, I took that as a command and not as a suggestion and I've been doing that. I think my husband would attest to that. Or you might be saying, you know what? I've been sharing the gospel as Christ commanded me. 
that passage in 2 Corinthians 5.20 where it says we are therefore ambassadors of Christ as though he's making his appeal through us. We plead you on, on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Yeah, I've been doing that. Oh, how about this one? God asked me to get baptized. Not, as, not for salvation, but out of obedience. He's asked me to be baptized. You know what? I was nervous to get up in front of all those people, but I did it. And I got baptized right over there or wherever you were baptized. Or you might say, God's asked me to use the gifts he's given me to serve the body of Christ, and I've used those gifts. I've been a, I, was a, I have the gift of music, and I've been up here playing musical instruments, or I've been singing and doing that, or I have the gift of teaching and leading a small group, and I've been doing that, or I have the gift of, of uh, hospitality. I've been ministering to people through that gift, or I've had the gift of technology, and I'm running the, the tech stuff to help everybody out here, and so I'm using that gift. And as you're walking over there, you're thinking, I haven't done any of these things perfectly, but I have done them faithfully. And therefore, as I enter the 120 East building to face Jesus at the Bema Seat Judgment, I go in with confidence, not arrogance. Does that describe you? Or is it going to look entirely different for you? Is it going to look entirely different for me? Same thing, you're over here sitting on your hands, waiting your turn, and you kind of start wringing your hands like this. You're anxiously sitting here in 120 West, and they call your name, and here you go. You're making your way across the parking lot. And you're reflecting on your life, not before you were a Christian, but since you've become a Christian. Because this is a judgment for believers, as we've mentioned several times. You start thinking things like this. I really haven't been leading my family spiritually, although it's taught from the pulpit here at Compass almost week in and week out. And uh, I haven't been doing that. I haven't been reading the Bible with my kids, even though they've asked me to. They've said, Dad, can you read with us? And I've always come up with some excuse. It's always one thing or another. I haven't practically been loving my wife as Christ loved the church, and she's been sure to remind me of that, right? <clears throat> or as a wife or lady, <clears throat> I haven't submitted to my husband as unto the Lord. Not only am I ashamed to admit that right now before Christ, but it's had devastating effects on my marriage here on earth. As far as sharing the gospel, I know I'm called to be Christ's ambassador, but I've cared more about my reputation and what people thought of me. I didn't want to rock the boat. Quickest way it seems to cause separation or to lose friends is to bring up the name of Jesus. And I want all men to speak well of me. As far as the baptism thing, I know God's commanded me to be baptized, but uh, I'm too embarrassed to get up there in front of all those people. They might ask me to speak or give my testimony or, or something. I just don't want to get up in front of all those people. So out of preservation of my own reputation, I'm not going to do it. But God's gifted me. But not only have I not been using those gifts for His glory, my uh, <laughs> attendance record here at church is spotty at best. Again, just always one thing or another, one excuse or another. If this describes you as you face the Bema Seat judgment over 120 East, do you think this was our passage said in 1 John 2, do you think this is going to cause you to shrink back in shame? I think it will. Again, not talk of salvation. You're at the Bema Seat. God does mention you're going to give an account for the good and the bad, and He also says that there will be for some, a loss of rewards. 
That's not what God has for you. He wants you to boldly, confidently appear before his Bema seat. The good news for you, if that last guy describes you, that last gal describes you, God allows U-turns even for believers, right? We call it repentance. Call it repentance. And I hope this motivates you tonight to repent. Right now, you might be asking the question, you know, Scott, you just want to confirm, you said the Bema seat judgment is for Christians, right? Right. All right. You know what? As long as I escape that great white throne judgment that you mentioned earlier, I'm good with that. It's like that old saying says, what do you call a guy that comes in last place in med school? Doctor, right? I'm good with that. So as uh, long as I'm in, I don't care if I come in dead last. I just want to get in. I don't care about all this, you know, shrink back and shame, all these rewards, lost rewards. None of that means anything to me. Well, if that's you, one, that's a bad attitude to take. And then two, you will care on that day. You shrink back in shame. And as, as our passage, like I said, in 1 Corinthians 3 says, you suffer loss when you could be receiving commendation, praise, and rewards. So we only have one point on the outline tonight, and it's this. We want to live in such a way that you, that I, may be able to boldly approach the Bema seat. And again, not arrogantly, boldly. Will there be reverence there? He's Christ. He's our Lord. He's our master. Of course, we're going to be reverent as we approach this, this beam of seat, but we're going to boldly approach it. You know, a great cross-reference for this, write this down, Hebrews 4.16. Something we do right now on earth. In context, he's talking about something we do right now. The writer to Hebrews says this, let us then with confidence, same word used in 1 John 17, 4.17, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. How do we do that right now? We do it through prayer, right? You confidently go to his throne of grace right now. I hope you do. I have a feeling, though, if you're living outside of his will right now as a believer, maybe you're living in some sin that you know is wrong, you might not go with that same confidence. You might shrink from him. But if you're living, if you're abiding in him, as Ian mentioned, you're going to be able to confidently approach that Bema seat. Talked about giving an account for your life this is a marriage group. So let's talk specifically about giving an account for your marriage. Everybody in here has had an argument, I presume, right? At least one, even if you're newlywed. Everybody's had a, I think we've had one or two. Honey, one or two? One? One. <clears throat> we've been married 21 years, so. But we've had our share of arguments, and I'm sure you've had your share of arguments, your share of fights, if you will. Let me just leave you with the words of Jesus from Matthew 12, 36 and Hopefully, this will help you with your words the next time you get in an argument. Hopefully, it'll motivate you with what you say. Because I know the tendency is to say things that we know is going to hurt or cut our spouse. Let this be a motivation to not do that. Listen to this. This is Matthew 12, 36. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, I tell you, I tell you, married couple and thrive, married man and thrive, married woman and thrive. On the day of judgment, there it is again, right? People... That includes all of us, will give an account for every careless word they speak. I hope that verse resonates the next time you're in an argument with your spouse. And again, we all argue, but you can do it in a way that's not with careless words, right? And you start to say something carelessly, mean, vindictive, evil, cussing at your wife, at your husband. I pray that this verse would resonate in your mind and you go, wait a minute, I don't want to have to give an account for this one day at the Bema Seat Judgment. The key to all this, whether it's the words we use in our marriages or the way we conduct our lives so that we can walk over to the 120 East boldly, 
is abiding in him. That's been a constant theme throughout the book of, uh, throughout the book of 1 John. And if that's described you and you've been abiding in him, that's great. But if you haven't been abiding in him, and you, maybe you're that second person that we describe. God loves you. Do we have it up here? Beloved, right? Beloved, loved by Christ. He loves you. And maybe, like I said, maybe you're here tonight because God is calling you to repentance. He doesn't want anybody in this room to shrink from him. Think about shrink from him, from him. I'm going to go to him, not from him, right? He doesn't want anybody to shrink from him on that day. But instead, boldly approach him. That's the goal for all of us. So remember what Jesus said we'd hear on that day. That describes us. He's gonna, we're all going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Not unfaithful servant, faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll get into our small groups. Right. God, thank you so much for uh, this night. We pray that uh, there wouldn't be any confusion, God, that we... I hope people realize, God, this isn't a, a matter of earning uh, salvation or anything like that. We realize that's a free gift. There's nothing we could do to earn it. Like uh, Ian mentioned, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead people can't save themselves. You lovingly and graciously reached out to us. And it, as our passage said later on, that uh, we love you because you first loved us. But God, as far as being pleasing you, we making it our aim to please you, we can do that. And we can live in such a way that we will boldly be able to approach the beam of seat of Christ one day. The same way we boldly approach your throne right now through prayer. Are we going to do it perfectly? Of course not. But we can do it faithfully. And I pray you'd help everybody in, the, in this room to do just that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. In your small groups.